This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the besotted Pride of West London podcast and we're coming to you from the virtual joint. Every now and again we get down the pub. Well, every week we get down the pub, at least once or twice. We record things, we talk about football, but then every now and again we decide we're going to go to the virtual joint. We kind of drink in our own space, virtually, and we talk about football as well. I'm Billy Grant and I'm sitting here after a sweltering bank holiday in my virtual joint with my chums, Laney Lane. Robin, Hood, and Liberal Nick. How are you doing, guys? Good, yeah. mate. Good, mate. Yeah, you, uh, are you, you feeling a little bit cooler today because it was a, a little bit sweltering, wasn't it? Uh, you should come to the West Country, Bill. Beautiful temperatures, 23 degrees, sunshine, you know, none of your humidity, none of your city heat. You know, come down to Devon. Yeah, indeed. So, listen, you know, we're just coming off the back of the Charlton game as well on Saturday. I mean, obviously, the Charlton game was talked a lot on the Love Sport radio show. Eight till nine o'clock on a Monday night, and you can check that at prideofwest.london. The guys did a really good job on that show, but you can check it out. Lots of things were spoken about, including the Charlton game, which didn't go according to plan once again. They called it Birmingham City Revisited. Again, a lot of people don't like to talk about stats. They say the only stats you need to know are the goals that are scored. In fact, tell me something. Let's just talk about that point because I, I think it's very important to talk about that point because, Laney, do you believe that the only stat that really does count are the goals that scored and the end result? Uh, no, I, I don't. No, it's, um, it's a very myopic um, argument, if, in my view. It's... Um, of, of course, ultimately, it, it, you can use stats and fairness and all that XG as an excuse for marking, uh, for masking, you know, for for deeper problems. But I think it's, you know, we're we're a club that's got a philosophy and a style of play, and we have to um, educate and um, develop players that fit into a style of play that we know is valuable to other teams. So, unless you've got like a an all-round understanding of how our clubs run, the way we bring players through, the way we um, way we sort of uh, scout our players, the way we identify our players, and you know the bit the whole business 
it 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 kind of it, it's a it's a complex situation, and it to just say oh it doesn't matter any of that. It's about winning. It's just about like who who you know the score at the end of ninety minutes. Well, obviously, yeah, we all want our teams to win, and we we don't, we don't want to watch a, you know a losing team every week, but. To, to, to know that we're an, an a tr- very attractive, very attacking team means that you are going to win most weeks because you know we have got quality players and we play in a style that most teams struggle with. So to, to kind of scrub all that and say it, it doesn't really matter, you can have all your fancy players, you can have all your fancy possession, but if you lose 1-0, then that's all that matters. Well, no, it, it, it doesn't because... You know, you, you need to be able to identify where your weaknesses are. You need to identify where the problems lie, and that, that takes scrutiny. So, uh, so to, 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 it's almost like, but some people just don't want to seem to want to talk about the game afterwards. It's about oh, you lost one, you'll get over it, and that's a little bit kind of one-dimensional. I mean, so, I'm, I'm going to, I'll just correct you, not a little bit of that, but I, I sort of slightly disagree with one point that you said there. I think that just because you've got all the stats going the right way and they say that you play beautiful football, that does not in any way actually guarantee that you are going to win because you say, you know, if we're playing the right football, we're going to win. And that's actually not the case. And I think this is what a lot of this stuff highlights. It highlights the fact that actually you could be doing all the right things, putting the ball into the right places, you know, having the highest XG where the ball is in the most prime place for scoring and still not scoring the goals. And if that continues to happen, it almost shows that there's, there is probably some other problems within what, 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 maybe whatever you're doing, whether or not you know, your strikers are just really nervous or they're just really terrible finishers or if you're really unlucky. And I think that's more to the point. And if that keeps on going on and on, I mean, I was listening to, uh, I think it was the Top 20 uh, podcast today, and they were talking about Brentford and they were saying about the Charlton match, they said it was such a Brentford result. Again, they talked about XG quite a lot, and they were saying, you know, the fact that yep. Brentford are at the top of the um, uh, number four in the sort of Justice League, where basically they technically should be number four, but we're actually number 19. And what they were saying is that the ridiculous thing about Brentford is that they're always at the top of these XG charts, but they're sort of always in the middle or the bottom of the league. And they're saying, why is that? Isn't there something inherently wrong, maybe? I've got in the a fact- in there. Say again? There. Yeah. Right. If your team, if, if, this is our, if this is our perfect 11, if we've got a team that we know, that's, we, we, we feel that's got no weaknesses, then I completely and utterly un- understand and agree with you. But the fact that we know that we're, we're light up top and we know that the midfield is still learning the patterns of play and learning to gel, that means that we're way short of where we want to be. We know that already. We went into the Charlton game knowing that we were weak in, in one or two areas. So I, I, I get that. That's, that's Fair enough, but you know we're not scoring goals. We haven't got a striker, and I know that it's other players that can chip in as well. But that that is part of the problem. So you know, in three weeks, four weeks' time, when we've got a number nine, or you know, and there's there's fewer excuses at the moment. There's obvious excuses there. So there are mitigating circumstances. Yeah, I mean, Robin. Bill, I mean, whenever I whenever I hear about stats, I'm reminded of that famous phrase, you know, lies, damn lies, and statistics, because. You know, we we all can see if we go to the games how well we're playing as a team. But um, if at the end of the day we we walk away with a loss or at best a draw, 
having dominated games. We can have all the best stats in the world, and and stats don't at the end of the day keep you in the table um you can play beautiful football and still be relegated i mean we're a long way from that i don't want to go go down that score but a few just occasionally you need a few dirty wins and if we you know if we win a game having less than 50 percent possession with our xg level at some minus you know never never seen in the last three three seasons but we score two goals and win a game I think a lot of fans would take that, may not take that on a regular basis, but sometimes you just need to be dirty and not worry too. Are we worrying too much about the stats? Are we trying to play too perfect to football and not get the results? I mean, I'll tell you about that. What, I do th- what I do think is that if you look back at Leicester City's Premiership title win, they won, uh, and across that season, they had the lowest amount of possession, lowest number of shots, lowest number of shots on target, and they still managed to win the league. So I, sometimes I don't think it's necessary to get a dirty win, but what the frustration with statistically is that we, we don't seem to be able to pick up points when we're playing badly. Okay, um, just quickly. Oh, oh, no, no, so sorry, I'm just going to interrupt you just quickly because you mentioned the Leicester thing, which is very important, and all these things are, and again, it depends on how you look at these stats. You mentioned quite traditional stats. You mentioned the amount of time they had in possession, the amount of yeah. shots that they had, which are traditional stats. We're talking about stats about quality of chances. The fact is that they may have low possession, but the way that obviously tried to play the game is that they got the ball, you know, they were confidence in defence, they hit the ball quickly up front, and whoever is up front basically was great at banging the ball at the back of the net. So if the fact is, if they created three chances and they scored three goals... You know, the XG of yeah. those, those, those three chances may have been very high and they actually converted them. And the difference between maybe teams like them and us is that when they're actually getting the ball into good chances, which we do do, they're converting yeah. them. The problem yeah. that we have is that we're that's, creating that's, that's, better chances than teams like Birmingham City and all these other teams, but they're putting them in the back of the net and they're creating worse chances than us, but they're, they're putting them in the back of the net. And that is where the, where the slight worry comes that's kind of my point is that um, I'd say Hull City we we were we weren't at home we weren't very good at all and we managed to scrape a point out of that and that's probably the only time in recent memory that I can remember us playing badly and getting a point and that's that that's that's sort of what I was trying to get across there we don't seem to be able to we don't seem to be able to play those performances where we um, have thirty five percent possession one shot and win the game it just does it's just not the Brentford way and I think if, um, whatever the podcast was the top twenty podcast does podcast that you mentioned earlier that the uh, the Chelsea match was such a Brentford performance and a Brentford result um, I think is right on the money but team, teams like, like Brentford like, like, like most things in life the answer is somewhere in the middle um, you know you can get really hyper statistical I can't even say it. you can get hyper, hyper stats and sort of go into the minutiae of quality of chances and what have you and I'm not I'm not saying that's witchcraft and we should ignore that but it, it it's it's the problems and the way we need to gauge games are lose if you if you lose your shit and if you win you're great and and it, it, it's more complicated than that but it's maybe not as complicated as going to the completely other extreme I think you you have to I think there is a merit in playing really well and trying to win the game and and losing and own oh, but, no, I completely agree with you but if but if, well, well hang on hang on Dave I mean how long how long do you play well and keep losing oh yeah okay Nick we're obviously not talking about a whole season but we're talking about more than five games 
you know, it's clearly you can't go through a whole season playing great football, losing every week. I mean, ob- that's obvious. But what I'm saying is, you know, after after a handful of games where you know whether there are there are clear and obvious problems with this team, you know, we can we can all say centre forward, midfield. We know that we know the goalkeeper's all right. We know the defence is all right. We know that we know the problem is getting the midfield jigsaw puzzle spot on. Once they, that clicks, it's fine. And there is a big problem up front. Is is the new guy good enough? Is Force going to step up? And can we make Ollie Watkins a striker? Big question marks are over all three of those areas. And or can we last through to January as we are bumbling along? I don't think we can be. But to say. We've, we, we haven't played awfully this season. We didn't play brilliantly in the Leeds game. Apart from that, we've been, we've been in every single match. So we're not shit, but we're not good. So, you know, it's, I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. Just yeah, two, points that, two points for that. One of which is uh, Leeds guy on the radio show this week actually thought that we played quite good football, which was encouraging to hear from a, from a Leeds fan, even though he then went on to patronise Brentford. So um, the Charlton fans. But the second point is, as you know, I think actually, you know, you can't judge us until 10 games in. But but come the come the 11th, 12th game and we're still, you know, fourth in the XG table and, and whatever and losing games, do you then think that you change the style or do you think that you then change personnel? I mean, it's a, it's a difficult dilemma and it's well, one I haven't got the answer to, but, no, you know, we, we are we are getting... We are we are only five games away from, from my sort of uh, level of saying, look, you know, something does need to change here. The way... Uh, the way I mean, the thing is, the way... Honestly, the way that Brentford deal with it, and we know this as well, because we've seen it with, you know, Dean Smith with his, sneak, with his streaky runs, you know, even Thomas Franks with his streaky runs. They look at it and they say, if we're doing the right things, as they call it, which basically means if you're playing the ball in the right areas, putting the ball in the right places, um, they're happy with that. Now, what I would say is that I've, I don't think that we have been, interestingly, away fans, I speak to away fans, as you know, every single week, speak to all of them, and they come back to us and they say, you guys are really good, you are like really creative, you are quite dangerous until you got to the final third. They actually think we're playing really well, whereas because we've seen us week in and week out, we're thinking actually oh, our midfield's not quite as good as it was before, the passing's not quite as good, we're not as fast as we are, but if I've, I've been trawling through, seriously, the last week, as you know, trawling through all the graphs of all these various different teams and all the games that have been played over the last two or three weeks, and I've been comparing their opportunities to ours. And even though we're not been playing as well as we think, we're still actually creating better opportunities than most of the teams out there are actually creating still really good chances, which technically, even though we're not as good as we would like us to be, we're still actually kind of playing better than a lot of our rivals. And the thing is, this is the thing that we don't know. And I think that's the frustrating thing is that we could be better, but we're still doing enough to be all right. But because we haven't put those balls in the back of the net, we're thinking that we're actually being quite rubbish. Yeah, and but the, the and the problem is the, it's an inherent problem with using statistics is kind of they when you use them when you're losing it seems like you're 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 making excuses and and it's it's a it's a natural reaction, you know I, I don't I don't blame people for calling that hocus pocus I, I know it isn't but it it can be seen as, as as making an excuse and you know we we need to just get you know this is why Saturday is so important we need to get back on the winning trail. And all, all of this stuff, it pales into, in, into the background. You, you can see 
you know, you can see you're playing well, you're creating chances and you're scoring. And that's where we need to get to. It's at the, at the moment there's a there's a there's a you know there's, there's a missing cog here, and I, I I don't think we're a million miles away from it. I, I think you know as I've said three or four times tonight, and I said on Monday night, every every problem that I see on the pitch is fixable. I think we've got the personnel, and the the, the only real question mark is the number nine. So it's it's I, I I'm not pressing any panic buttons at all yet, and. You know, I, I just don't. I don't get the anger at the moment. If I'm honest with you, there seems to be there seems to be a disproportionate amount of, of grief, um, and I, I don't. I don't quite get it. I, obviously, we we would all hope that the season would start with a hundred percent record, but you know, even even the better teams, even the strongest teams in this division, have lost a couple this year already. So, you know, it's we're 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 right at the beginning of a nine month season. So, I mean, where this where this all. Going back to the original question, you said, um, "Is it is it the only stat that matters in regards to goes into the net on the on the day?" Yes, for that one result. But in the long term, you have to. I think you have to look more at the trends, the XPs, and things like that. Um, so yeah, just going back to that original point, that's what I would say about it. On the oh. day, it definitely matters, but in the long term, not at all. No, when it, yes. obviously when it comes to the league table, it matters. But I think the reason why this conversation started between us, you know, out of this podcast, is that. When we start looking at the chances that we've had that we haven't created and we say, look, you know, we've XG means that we should have actually maybe won this game 3-0. What are we doing that's not right? And then people say the only result that matters is the score. I sort of turned around and I said, I think I said to Lane, I said, well, if that's the case, then when we come out of a match, no one should ever discuss anything. The score, if we win 1-0, we just say we won 1-0 and you should go home, have a cup of tea and don't discuss anything. Because at the end of the day, how many matches have you been to where you've been standing behind the goal and you've hit the post? I mean, this is, I'm being facetious here. You've hit the post seven times. The goalkeeper's pulled off 10 brilliant saves. Your striker's come and he's on the six-yard line and he shoots the ball and it goes wide, it goes wrong. Everything that happens doesn't right and you still don't score any goals other than having 25 brilliant chances and the opposition come and they score a fluky goal from 30 yards, hits five people and goes in the back of the net. And you're talking about that game from when you leave the ground till when you get to the pub till when you go home. And basically, we're talking about situations. That's an extreme example. But what we're saying is that these things are reflected on paper and statistics, whatever like that. It is there and they do exist. And at the end of the day is that there are some games where it may be slightly tighter. There's some games where it isn't so. But at the end of the day, these things are factual. And you can tell, to a certain extent, how a team is or should be performing depending on what they're doing on the pitch and what, and what these figures do say. And people may just say, well, you haven't scored the goal, it doesn't matter. But to me, I think it does matter. And I actually do find it really, really quite interesting. Phil, Phil, you yes. lost over it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did. We did. And we lost to Charlton with that. Oh, God, don't even talk to me about those figures because those figures are... But, but listen, fair play to Charlton. They threw themselves on the ball. You know, the question you have to ask is that will they be able to do that? every single game, every single week, because the way that the figures go is that at the end of the day, they've done it once, they've done it twice, they've done it three times. They, don't, they, they, they technically can't do it every week because they have to get better in certain areas. And I think that is, you know, to, 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 to maintain that. And I think that's the, that's, the, that's the key thing. But listen, just coming back to that. I'll tell you what, Bill, I'll yeah. tell you the final thing from me is, I'll tell you what, though, we can certainly get better, uh, a lot better. I'm not certain Charlton can get much better. Well, certainly. I mean, I think let's play a little bit more respect to Charlton. At the end of the day, they obviously have got certain, they've got certain factors, 
Uh, they brought in some players and they brought a mixture of, uh, you know, they've got a bit of mixture of youth and experience in there. But also they played together as a team and they did come out of the, the previous division, out of Division 1. They got promoted out of that and they're on a bit of momentum as well. And they've got a manager that they all, um, they've got a lot of respect for. So I don't think we should put Charlton down for that. They're a different team to us. And I think also we shouldn't get too much all up on our ass because we play beautiful, pretty football and we're better than everybody else. Everyone's different. And the thing that we, the problem I think that we have is actually try to deal with different teams and the different types of football. We're going to talk about Derby a little bit later and probably actually Derby are a better team for us to play because maybe they play a little bit more like what we do so we can actually handle that a little bit more as opposed to Charlton who are like, you know, big and burly and they put loads of men behind the ball and they throw themselves behind the ball. But listen, just coming back to Charlton and coming back to the games you've had so this season, just can you think of two things going into this game on Saturday you think that Brentford should maybe be aware of that you've noticed about Brentford or maybe how we can improve or what you'd like to see? Well, first of all, I, I actually think that we need to play Marcus Force if he's fit at, at the centre-forward position. I, I think that if we can't, if we're not going to, if we're not going to use him now when we're desperate for a centre forward, then you know you've got you've got to question whether there is a pathway through. You know it, it, we, we're crying out for for someone, and um, Ollie Watkins, you know, for for all all of his effort up the top, I don't think his heart's in it. Um, so that's that's the one thing it's it's clear and obvious to me. Whether they do that or not. I don't know, but that's that's one thing that jumps out at me. Liberal. Uh, I think we've got to uh, stop concentrating so much on our defence and give a bit more creativity in the attacking mid. That would be my, you know, I think our defence is solid, um, but uh, our attacking mid, it'll, um, you know, start start Ben Rama, start Ben Rama on Saturday. Hopefully, he's now pretty much fit. I think it's reached a stage where if he's fit enough for 45 minutes, he probably we've probably got to push him being fit enough for 90 minutes, particularly as we've got an international break coming up. Uh, Robin Hood. Um, one thing that is probably a slightly controversial statement, and it's maybe a bit ambitious, um, from what I've seen um, going into this game, uh, from the players from the new signings, uh, I think Jensen has the potential to be Brentford's best ever player. Uh, just looking at the way he plays, I've not quite seen a player distribute, control, pass the little chips that he does quite like him. He see, he just has something about him, and um, I understand that he got a little, he's got a little bit of criticism sometimes trying a fancy ball too too often. And um, I I think I think he's going to be you know something even more than a star. That's what that's one thing that I'm uh, sort of one thing that I've learned going into the derby game, and hopefully the derby game is where he really, really steps up in a gear has been already. Um, and yeah, and for me, I mean, um, I mean, I, I love the many of He's a brilliant player and I know that we, uh, I, I think Camo needs to feature on, on Saturday. Um, agree. Last, yeah, last, agree. Sat last Saturday, yeah. he, he obviously came off the bench. He's been at the, 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 the African Nations Cup. The feeling was that maybe he wasn't fit. I don't know whether or not he was or wasn't. But what you saw is that you saw someone who who understood our system, knew our system, knew the way that we played, and it made so much of a difference. And it's obviously taken us a time to get to that period. And you can see what a difference it is when you sort of pluck out a load of players and bring in five or six new players into the side. Even though they're doing the right things, it, it doesn't quite click the same way. So for Camo in the side, whichever way they feel is best to play Camo, he needs to come into the side as well. 
Um, you know, not, I also don't want to be sort of negative about Mark Ondes, but I'm just sort of thinking that, you know, maybe a question mark needs to be put there. I can imagine that the head coach who loves him doesn't want to drop him because he wants to ensure that he has the confidence and continue playing him. But um, we need to get a result, you know, we need to get a result against Derby and I just think that we need to maybe just reassess um, reassess that situation. So, uh, so uh, question mark there, but Camo definitely needs to be in the side. Any, any other thoughts about Brentford in general, guys? I've got one. Yeah, I mean, I did... I... I do hope that we won't be panicking. I mean, those those changes everybody's suggested are perfectly reasonable ones, and we've got a strong, you know, squad of 18, well, we'll have a strong squad of 18, 19 players, any of whom are pretty much interchangeable and start as first, could, could start as first-teamers. So I think what's important on Saturday is that if changes are made, people see it as a... Uh, as a positive step, not as uh, panicking and and, and 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 having to make the changes uh, because we're we're getting really worried. Um, does that make sense? Do people understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, at that I, point? I, don't, I don't think anyone, or any of the players, or any of the coaching staff, or anyone is going to be anywhere near panic mode. If, if I'm honest with you, I think the only, I think the only kind of, uh, you know. Rage is coming from from the, the, the supporters at the moment, and I, I'm not I'm not, I'm not knocking everyone. Everyone's you know I'm not saying what's right or what's wrong, but I, I, all, all I can say is where where my head's at, um, and I you know I, I've seen us go through sticky patches in pretty much every season we've had in this division because it's such a great division. Um, apart from the first one um, where we where we made the playoffs, where we were just riding that crest. Um, every other season, we've had a, a period or a sequence of, of results that have, you know, got us all jumping up and down, thinking, "Oh, the end of the world's coming." But I'm, I don't, I don't see that at the moment. It's, it's, we're, we're not reliant on one player. Um, we, 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 we do look, we do look good. Um, it's just that, uh, you know, we, we, we need a bit more time to gel. Definitely needs time to gel, and like I said to you, it's not the end of the world for Brentford, not at all. But talking about the end of the world, it seems like it's the end of the world for some supporters up in the northwest, in particular Berry fans. I mean, Berry, unfortunately, was basically um, thrown out of the football league today for a number of reasons. Uh, for one big reason, and also Bolton Wanderers that were very close to getting the same punishment thrown out of the football league. We're going to talk a little bit about the Berry and the Bolton situation after this little break. So last night at 11 o'clock, the news came that Berry had been expelled from the Football League. The reason why is that they were, well, unable to pay their debts, unable to pay their staff, unable to pay their players. They were unable to put games on and uh, they haven't played a game this season so far. They've all been postponed so far and the Football League had given them opportunities for their own to show that he will be able to support the club, be able to pay um, what they're meant to be paying and uh, they were unable to do that so in the end they were expelled from the Football League and uh, Mr Dale, he's not a very popular person, he bought the club, you know, admittedly the club was in a bit of a pickle when he bought it but um, there's, there's a number of things that have been going around at the moment now about the Berry situation and we're just going to talk about them first of all and talk about the, 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 the parallels possibly with Brentford. You know, uh, a club, a small club in the northwest with a very small but very, very vibrant and very, very loyal fan base. 
you know, they may be small, maybe only got 3,000, 3,000 or 4,000, but fans love that club. It was very important to the community. It's very important to the town. It gave them an identity, you know. As we know, as uh, fans of lower league clubs, how important it is for you not to necessarily pop down the road to that 50,000, 60,000 seater stadium to go and watch, you know, teams that, you know, everybody else can see on television. It's very important for you to go down to a club which... Which, which you can identify with, which, which, which means much more to you, even though they may not be doing very well, even though it may not get very many fans, but you, you enjoy going to watch them play. And that's what Berry were like. And, uh, and, 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 and there's a lot of people who are very, very, very upset in the Northwest and for very, very good reasons. Laney, I mean, we've been talking about this sort of quite a lot over the past few months. And uh, to be quite honest with you, I never thought it was going to come to a head, did you? No, I mean, I have to be honest, that as, for as long as I can remember, you know, Berry and Brentford have played each other almost every season since, since I've been supporting them. There's a, there was a few years in the early 80s where, you know, we were in the third tier, they were in the fourth, and we didn't, we didn't cross paths. But our, our, our recent histories or our post-war histories have been pretty much similar. We are a small team in London, or we have been, most of the time and they are they're a small team in greater manchester so the similarities are, are, are there well i think we've always had bigger crowds than them but um they you know their their record against us is is pretty similar you know we've i think we've we've played each other um we played each other sort of like 60 odd time you know it's 20 23 games we've won uh, 21 games we've lost and 18 games we've drawn. So it's pretty identical. So we've been sort of, you know, nipping and tucking all the way, all the way through our histories. We've had a couple of big wins against them. We had an 8-2 win back in 1949 at Griffin Park against Berry, but they they played us 5-1 in you know in 1960 at home. So and. <sighs> They've, they've always been up and down, up and down. So it's very, very similar. Third, fourth division, fourth, third division. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and I, I just do feel massively sorry for their, their fans. You know, we've, we've been to Gig Lane a lot. Um, we've had there's some nice little pubs tucked away in those cobbled streets um, near the ground. Um, we went there for the first game of the season about 10 or 11 years ago, and it was which should have been a baking hot day in August. It was a freezing cold, rainy day, and we had to we scurried off to uh, Sports Direct or wherever it was and bought bought some cheap England tops for a fiver, if I remember rightly. Which still, I still got in the cupboard under the stairs. <laughs> so you know we they're they're a typical traditional lower league team, um, and they're by the grace of God. We it could have been us because, you know, we we were rattling buckets outside our grounds. We'd had chairman and we well not yeah we had our chairman. We'd had um, owners um, and people in charge of our club that you could accuse of being dodgy. Um, people that didn't necessarily have the club's best interest at heart. They had their own pockets at heart. Um, and I do say you know Dave Webb. And at the end of his tenure, um, and the, the amount of money that Ron Nodes left us having to pay back, um, there were times where it looked pretty bleak for Brentford Football Club. Um, talk of us going to Woking, talk of us moving to Felton, 
talk of us doing all kinds of desperate, never in your lifetime would you want to do any of these kind of scenarios, situations. And fair play to the fans. Um, I set up Bias with with Paul Ridley in those those early early sessions of Bias we had in the pubs around Brentford and the first ever one we had in Hammersmith and people like Bill Ben were there. Um, we we were worried at that time. Um, fortunately, Beeds United was the phoenix that came out of all that, where instead of it being just kind of uh, beer and bravado and, and passion, they were able to put a structured fan-owned um, scenario at Brentford. Um, and we had some real... Um, we had a few years there where... Although we would, ne- we could never really challenge for where we are now. At least we felt that we were secure as a football club, and Brentford Football Club was never going to be ripped away from us. Um, and it's only since the Matthew Benham took over um, that that our fortunes have, have gone from well, gone from that to well. You could never imagine that the football club that we we follow now. Was was ten or eleven years ago, where where we were sort of, you know, not not even sure if we were going to stay in the football league. So, you know, it, if people want to take um, my support for Matthew Benham as some sort of um, heresy, then <laughs> you're mad. You know, it's the, the the fans couldn't have taken this football club any further than they did and it it took a rich benefactor someone whose heart was in it someone who really cared passionately about Brentford um, to, to transform our club and he's done that so if it wasn't for that one man Berry Berry was a real threat to happen to us at some stage Lady said it all really hasn't he I mean um, what You've got to feel sorry for the Berry fans and watching the pictures on the news tonight, you can see how much it meant to a what is a small town in the Greater Manchester Conurbation. Um, and they've lost fans there. May only be 2,000 regulars, two or 3,000, two to two and a half thousand regulars. But they've lost, you know, something that all of us um, would feel bereft were it not that at least once a fortnight we were able to go and follow our football team and you've got to you've got to feel sorry for the fans of, of Berry and hopefully they might be able to resurrect something and 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 build something from the bottom up what is sort of what slightly sticks in the craw and I don't have the answer to it is that you know just 10 miles away you have the mega corporations that are now Manchester United and Manchester City you know Man United paying 80 million pounds for one defender um, they Man United have just transferred out some um, for uh, can't remember guy to Italy loaned out some guy to Italy who was on four Sanchez that's right Sanchez who was earning something like 400,000 pounds was it a month or a week? It must be a month. I mean, just obscene, a week. So even more obscene sums of money. Um, and, you know, the growing divide that there is, even between championship clubs and middle-ranking premiership clubs, is something that the authorities have got to start looking at and have got to start, you know, do we go to something like introducing in the leagues one and two a... 
a maximum wage, going back all the way days to Jimmy Hill, um, you know, and what he fought for to get rid of that, or do we actually somehow force the Premier League to trickle down some of the billions that they earn from TV revenues from the UK and around the world down into the lower leagues? I mean, I don't have the answers here tonight. All I do say is that I feel really sorry for the very fans. And you do, and and a lot of really good points there as well, Liberal, and and these are the questions that you're asking. I mean, the fact is that, you know, first of all, like I said to you, Berry should never have happened. I feel really sad about that because I've had some brilliant times up there. We're going to talk about our good times at Berry as well in a little bit. There's also other questions that you're going to throw into the court. You say, well, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the problem also that you get is badly run clubs, badly run businesses. Okay, you know, Berry got promoted from Division 2. You know, and, and allegedly some, some of the players were on like 10 grand plus a week, you know, in Division 2, which was just completely and utterly unsustainable. Now, the fact is that, you know, you, you've got these people coming in and running these clubs in this way. Now, part of the reason why these clubs are running this way is because they're chasing, chasing, chasing the success. Chasing the success because of the money that's come into the league and then you get the bigger clubs, the Leeds and the Derbys, and the, all that. They're all chasing and they're all putting more money in so everyone feels that they need to. So you've basically got these clubs that are, are, are living in a way that they are completely and utterly out of their means. But they're always willing to take that risk. Hopefully that they'll get that little gold at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the rainbow as it is and for me that is part of this uh, the bigger problem that there is now because what's happened is that I mean I've sat in a football league meeting three or four months ago I sit in football league meetings quite a lot actually and sat there with Sean Harvey and all the guys from the football league and there's quite about six about eight or ten fans there and we put a point of view across and the finance one was something that was actually quite dear to my heart and I basically started off this conversation and it went on for about an hour hour and 15 we talked about Berry, we talked about Bolton we talked about capping of wages, you know, or not capping, but having a spending cap. We talked about how FFP wasn't working. We talked about a lot of things, and it's really interesting to talk to the Football League because part of their argument is they're saying, you know, it's much better to have somebody who wants to go in and spend money on a club than somebody who was going to go in and wreck it. You know, so they're basically saying, you know, possibly somebody like Oyston. If you've got an Oyston situation, that's not bad. That's bad. But if you've got somebody who's going to go in and spend 50 million, even though it's not right to do that, it's better for them to be doing that because at least they've got the right intentions at heart. Now, my arguments, I'm saying, well, at the end of the day, maybe, but if in the longer term that could bring the club down because, you know, they're going shit or bust, then surely... It's your job as an authority to try and see how can we stop this happening. Because at the moment, everyone's spending, the more money that goes in, they've got, they've got this new deal, this new TV deal that's coming from Sky. And everyone's moaning about it's not, that's not enough. But the fact is that it's not only not enough because what will happen is that more money will go to the players and the agents and all this kind of stuff. And all it does is, as they call it, it's like prune juice. It goes in the front end, comes out the back end. So the fact is that if the clubs were restricted in what they can spend. This is what I'm thinking. They were restricted in what they can spend. All of a sudden, they can't go so mental. And then all of a sudden, there's more money. If the more money's coming in, then there's more money to go into other areas. Now, I mean, do you guys agree with that kind of principle? Absolutely. I, I, I completely agree that there needs to be some sort of um, legislation put in or, so, or some sort of monitoring of how of how the football clubs in the football league are run remember these a lot of people and the at the end of the day these are businesses they do operate in order to you know with money coming in and money going out and various different things um but they are they are so important and they're so much more than a club you know that's the last line 
making you that one of the biggest foot clubs of the year, in in the world. Um, but it's, and it does really bother me that people like Steve Dale are, are, are allowed to go in and run a club. I think I, I read a stat recently, and um, allegedly 44 out of the 53 businesses he's been involved in have gone into liquidation. Now, if if you're if you're a if you're buried foot and you're a small club that needs to try needs a bit of injection of cash uh, and should we say an ambitious ethos in order to try and compete you're going to be very reactive in try in welcoming an owner like that because you feel it's going to get you some sort of uh, sh you know short-term wins but i think the efl needs to be far more proactive about mm. they how they allow uh football clubs in particularly in the lower leagues because you're absolutely right there's too much money going into football but i don't think that's going to change at the moment it's a worldwide most universal business so I don't think there's going to be, I don't think there's going to be anything done in terms of controlling and the spending and the amount of money that goes into it. But what I would like to see is just a bit more productivity authority for those with the power to make decisions like spelt clubs the EFL. I would like to see them more proactive in actually seeing clubs being that makes sense. But, uh, Robin, you, the answer is the EFL is not fit for purpose. I mean, the EFL has failed Bury fans, it has failed uh, Bolton fans, and it's likely to fail other fans too. I mean, I, I fear for Stoke. I think that's a club that's in trouble. And you've got to look at Derby as well. I mean, Derby famously selling off their ground last year to... to basically mortgage themselves to try and get into the, the, the premiership again it's it's playing with funny money and how you know we're meant to be uh operating in a society where funny money and and uh, uh, uh creative accounting um is something that is frowned upon and should be encouraged and i have to say that the fl just seemed to sort of sit back and allow people to get away with doing things that in the normal course of a business would um, not be allowed or would eventually lead to to a large number of companies going bust. The EFL seem to be slightly complacent over recent years in saying, well, none of our clubs have gone bust. This will be and a real... This is, this is the thing, Nick, I think it's, um, it's, it's, it's so reactive. It's so sort of, oh, a club's not doing financially, looking at dodgy financially, let's investigate it. And my point is that whilst the EFL, the EFL is necessary, some you might argue that it's not fit for purpose, but I think it does serve... A if it's being a bit more forward-thinking and thinking ahead in terms of how we're looking at clubs like this, like like situation that's happened to Bury, it's the proverbial, you know, these are these football owners, the, the a lot of football owners like your Oysters, like Steve Dales, are very very rich um, people sitting at a roulette table, bunging bunging a load of money on a, on a single number. If it doesn't come in, so what? And I would have, I would have liked to have seen the EFL be the EFL. I would have liked to see the EFL be much, much stronger on, you know, the creative accounting that goes on with, within clubs. Saying, saying that you can't sell off your grounds and then put, put it back in to get round financial fair play rules and all this sort of stuff. You know, there are rules and regulations that clubs have run coach and horses through. The EFLs and the EFL have sat back and let them do it. But, and it's but, about time people actually at the EFL, lived up to their responsibilities. They okay. seriously haven't done enough to do it, and it's about time, you know. But I know the EFL is a member-run organisation, 
but it's about time that chief executives of EFL and, and you know, the board of directors and independent directors that are on the EFL actually started to say, right, enough is enough. We're going to get tough on you now. OK, I mean, just saying that, just coming back to it, I mean, there's a number of points. And like I said, you are sitting in the meetings with the EFL. So you ask them these questions, they come back to you. So questions were asked, say, for example, the Derby County scenario where, you know, said, how can a club sell its stadium, you know, when it's just spent, you know, and it's £50 million in the, in the red. It's just, it's just not right, you know. And the EFL said, you know, straight up, Sean Harvey said, it's not illegal. It's, it's, it's not against the law, what they've done. He goes, is it a wise thing for them to do? That's a different question. I'd say it's not a wise thing for them to do. But if um, Mel Morris feels that that's what he feels that he wants to do, then he can do because it's not illegal. And for me, I'm thinking, OK, fair enough. All right, they've got around the law. That's really great. But I'm just thinking it's almost like it's really, really slightly blasé in the fact that it's kind of like well they can get away with it and because he's putting money in it makes it okay he's it makes it okay because he's still if he was trying to take money out and do the detriment of the club it's a different scenario so then this next question you have to ask then what's the point of, of ffp what's the point of these certain clubs trying to play by the rules if others don't play by the rules and at the end of the day is it really all about basically clubs being able because at the end of the day is that is the real power in the fact that bigger clubs can spend the money and, and because all the bigger clubs are saying look if we got the money we want to spend it or even if we don't have the money we want to spend it why should you stop us from doing this but that is when you look at it from a club perspective you look at it club by club what we're talking about here especially as football fans is preserving the pyramid preserving the whole league state it's, it's more about what is all around you what's happening to the smaller clubs or the bigger clubs to be quite honest with you Leeds United don't really care what happens to Brentford or Accrington Stanley or Bury. that is a fact okay and if they can get all the money into their pot and go off and do their thing get in the Premier League they'll be very happy to do that so if they are acting on their own selfish means which I'm, I'm, I'm not lying that is that is a fact somebody mm. else up there has to be protecting and, and doing the job to try and protect the league. Because if, 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 if they're not interested in protecting all these clubs and they're saying, tell you something, if there's 30 clubs that are just not fit for purpose and they're not run properly, they can go to the wall, then listen, if that's what they think, then they should try and just don't lie and just be completely honest about it. And then the fans will actually be able to kind of, they'll, they'll do what they have to do. But if they're really serious about saying, Football league is very important. 72 teams. How could we make this fairer for everyone? Let's cut the spending. Let's, let's see if we can get the money redistributed a little bit better. Let's, let's, let's see how we can actually positively affect that. Let's make sure that these owners don't start spending silly money. You know, and they feel that they have to send silly money so they're going to be in places. Let's put the checks in place. Um, Laney, have you got any other points on this? Um, not really much more to add than that because I mean, it's a really nice insight into you know the kind of meetings you had you had with the EFL about this. But I mean, I guess Berry is stuck in that situation. Like, I, I actually remember when Berry bought um, Roger Stanislaus from us. I think it was about ninety grand, and um, we couldn't believe at the time that Berry Football Club could have bought one of our best players, or you know, or why one of our best players would want to go there. Um, so. They they they've had better times, you know. Whether they could afford it, I don't I don't know. I can't really remember back then. But I remember Stanislaus was one of our very very brightest prospects, and we, we lost him to to Berry. Um, Berry is kind of stuck in that sort of no man's land where FFP means that they can only um, spend 
so much based on their annual turnover, and their annual turnover is going to be really low because they don't get they don't get the crowds and the commercial the commercial sort of uh, streams that, that you know scarves and merchandise is going to be tiny for Berry Football Club. So, you know how how can they really compete with with play you know, with those teams in League One that have got bigger crowds? But saying that, Berry still managed to get themselves promoted, and. You know, it, it's they. But they spent they spent a lot of money when they got promoted. They were doing Dave. a lot of things right, and but ultimately they, they they made themselves unsustainable by by chasing that. Yeah, I mean, just to let you know, I mean, the FSA, which is uh, was the FSF, which is now um, merged with uh, football supporters uh, with the the supporters direct as well to become the FSA. And at the moment now, because the berries come down, so there's a a a, a note that's gone out to all the fan groups and everyone out there to contact their club and to ask them to give their backing to a proposal that they're putting forward. And the details, they want regulatory reform proposals. And the, just to give a quick summary of that, they want engagement with supporters. They think that's key to ensuring transparency and good governments. And they should be in involved at local and national level. Um, they should all, they're actually really fighting for regulatory responsibilities to be undertaken by an independent body which is under the remit of the FA. So basically the F EFL is kind of not given that job anymore. You know what I'm saying? Uh, a rolling review of club finances should take place with periodically updated sustainable business plans to help identify problems quicker, basically, before it gets to the stage where it's too much. Uh, a much better owners and directors test. I mean, we're always talking about that, you know. I mean, we talked about Stephen Dale and, you know, and the fact that he's sort of bankrolled about three, you know, he's bust about 7,000 companies, you know, allegedly, uh, before he's actually got to bury. Um, so, you know, just things like that as well. Um, yeah. uh, each time a significant transfer of ownership comes to place, the person should be able to apply the test. Um, there's a, 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 an absolute prohibition on offering club property, security, unless it's a connection with a capital expenditure project. So you just can't put you know, the, the, the stadium up and offer it as security as well. There'll also be a prohibition of moving the club out of the area, which is traditionally associated as well. So these are a number of reforms that they're trying to push and push forward at the back of the Berry scenario as well. Do you think there's uh, quite a few good ideas in there? Some really good ideas, but it's whether they've got, you know, it's, any of them are going to have teeth, you know, um, some some of the clubs now, you know, billion pound turnovers. They, they, they some of the owners are just not going to take any notice of that, and they'll say that we're independent PLC companies or we're private limited companies or whatever we are. Sorry, not PLC, limited companies, and we will run our We'll run that company as we see fit, and I, I'm not sure that a lot of clubs will be up for. For, for signing up to those, those that kind of what they would see as restrictive practices. I hope I hope that perhaps Bias could put those suggestions to Cliff Crown, and it'd be interesting to see what what answers Cliff, who sits on the EFL board, does he not, Billy? You know, not anymore. He's come off the board now. Has he? Oh, sorry. Apologies. Right. Apologies to Cliff because I, who I know occasionally listens to this podcast, but I think it would be really interesting if Cliff could um, uh, make a public statement about. Um, Brentford's attitude to, to, to some, if not all, of those proposals and how the club would be going, because as Dave says, most of them sound very sensible. They, they yeah, do, I think it's, it's just about seeing how they how they get put into practice, basically. 
And, and, and the thing that also have to remember is that, listen, we are very lucky. We've got Matt Benham. He's been brilliant for us. He's put money in. But you also have to remember is that the amount of money that he's put in compared to the income that we naturally generate is, 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 is ginormous. And the fact is that you can technically say that we're also operating not within our means. But we're very lucky that we've got a, a very rich and also a very kind benefactor who wants to put the money in and he says, I'll take that risk. But the fact is that for me, I just think it would be actually better if everybody operated within their means. So the fact is that, and I've said this before, why do you have to pay £10 million for a player when you could get the same player for £3 million? It's only the market that's inflated that player's price. So the fact is that you put more money in the market and play, everyone could spend as much as they want, that player's price goes up from 3 to £10 million. If you restrict the market, all of a sudden, that player's going, he's going, he's going to go for three million, but everyone's been restricted in, about, in, in, the, in the amount of money that they can sell. So to me, I'm thinking all of a sudden, you've got clubs operating more within their means because you've got, there's money coming in, but you, if you're restricted by the money that you can spend and, and the prices are actually coming down to a reasonable figure, which it will do eventually because it's going to, something's got to go bust. We can't be having this situation where the ridiculous amount of money and these clubs are spending, you know, 150, 200% of their, of their income on, on salaries and stuff like that. It's just, it's just, unfit. it's just not going to happen because only two or three clubs are going to go up. So what happens to the rest of them? It just makes no sense whatsoever. But let's, let me bring mate, it back. Mate, yeah. but the genie's out the bottle, mate. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. It's almost impossible to do. Know, well, if somebody uh, comes, if somebody comes in and actually does something and regulates it, I'm sure they can do. And I think it's going to take a little bit more than somebody sitting in a in a room and and nodding their heads but not really doing anything because they say the clubs don't really want to do that. Oh yeah, Leeds United don't really want to do that. If the fans and and, and people on the right way actually got together. We've seen how much power there is when fans come together. We're at a moment now where fans aren't very happy. You know, you've also got a lot of owners out there of clubs who aren't very happy. If all of the fans and these owners actually got together, you could probably find 50 clubs and a load of fans getting together in a movement saying, actually, do you think this is the best way to do it? And yes, you've got your Leeds United and your derbies and all that won't be happy, but at the end of the day, you're going to have a movement which is a lot stronger than that. And when you've got a movement, people have to kind of have to open their curtains and have a look, don't they? Well, Billy, I think that's what I said earlier on, is that I, don't, I just don't see how, with the amount of money that's already in football, you can start regulating it from this point. Lane just said that the genie's out of the bottle and it's impossible to put it back in. That's that, and that's what I said earlier, and I, th- I completely agree with it. Yeah, I'm sorry. If, you, if we worked, if we worked on that basis, nothing in nothing this world ever. would ever, nothing in this world would ever change. Exactly. I mean, you know, we have to absolutely go and campaign, and that's why, you know, slowly but surely, fans have got to raise up and 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 actually do something about this. And that's why, actually, I, you know. I, I will dig out tomorrow. I'm going to dig out what it is that the FSF, and I'm going to send an email to Cliff Crown, and I'll be interested to see his answer. And I'll make sure that um, you have a copy besotted that you can put on the website. There we go. So that's cool. a start. Cool. You know, so it's this... only a small step, but one small step at a time. You know. one, one small step for mankind. But look, let's come back to Berry and let's talk about happier times because, like I said, I've been to Berry so many times. I've seen Brentford play so many times, and uh, well, let's just just revel in. The, the good times we've had at Bury because if you speak to any of your sort of, you know, Man United or Chelsea or Arsenal mates, I mean, a lot of them, and again, not due to respect, but you probably know what I'm talking about, will probably go, Bury, where is that? Oh my God, I've never been there. But these are the places which are part of our diet. We went there every year. 
And the fact is that as you went to these places, you had to have a good day out. And to be quite honest, Derrick Berry was actually, you know, there was loads of clubs in Manchester that we used to go to. Your Oldham, your Berries, your, your Boltons. You know, we used to go there all the time, your Rochdales. But Berry was one of my favourite away days in that Manchester region. Um, can you remember any uh, joyful stories of going there to, to Berry, Laney? I remember going to Bury away on a coach with one of my first long-term steady girlfriends and that what, what, what a romantic trip that was on the on the supporters coach for Saturday night. <laughs> so yeah I think it was a, I don't think we won and I don't think I went out for much longer <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think the defeat was worthwhile yeah, that's it. Uh, you talked about Roger Stanislaus, who, like I said, you really good Brentford defender back in the day, and then Berry bought him for about ninety grand, which really shocked us. But then I remember going up to Berry just after we sold him, and we were in the bar, and all the players were in the bar, and all of a sudden Roger was there. He came up and talked to us, then his girlfriend just came running over to me. She goes, "Billy, Billy, Billy." can't you get us out of here? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, we hate it up here. It's terrible. Can't you get us out of here? Sort of asking me. He's like, as if I could rescue Roger Stanislaus from Berry. So uh, I don't think he was particularly happy with his time at Berry. Uh, Robin Hood, have you, have you ever been up to Berry? I have, yeah. I went to giggling. Uh, it was the open game of the 2009 promotion season. Oh. Um, away, yeah, away at Berry. And I was, I mean, I was, I was 15 at the time. So I, I wasn't a season, wasn't a seasoned Brentford um, away, away day goer, but um, very I, wet. I do remember. <laughs> um, I do remember, sort of it. It just being, it just being, it just being a really lovely community club. Uh, the fans were always very, very uh, friendly to talk to. Um, we we lost one nil, and I remember it was raining, and it wasn't a very pleasant, um, pleasant day for it. But the the, the ground, the rustic, the rusticness of it. Um, I remember the, I really enjoyed the pie as well. It just, it just, it was, it was a really proper community club. And whilst we lost one nil, and I think Marvin Williams missed a sitter, and it was, it was one of those, one of those games that was just like, oh, just wasn't our, our day. I, I do feel it was worth it for the trip. So it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily a, a, a glorious Brentford victory away, but it was, it was a good away trip. You did mention, it. you did mention the pies, and the, uh, one thing I do remember, Barry had one of the best pies. And I don't normally do pies at football ground, but they had a, a wicked, wicked pie as well. And also, ladies, do you remember that we used to, uh, sometimes used to go to Bury, used to go into Manchester and drink in Mick Hutnell's bar just, um, just, by, the, just by the canal? Barca. Barca, just by the canal in Manchester. So we all Brentford fans, you know, a load of us used to go there drinking Mick Hucknall from Simply Red's bar. And then we used to get taxis up to Bury as well. So that was, uh, that was one of the trips. In fact, one of those trips that we did, we ended up meeting you because uh, there, was a, there was a supposed asthma attack on the train. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I do, yeah. And I also, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also, also remember I, I, I interviewed um, Andy Feely um, at Bury when he, he was working there. I did the Colt Bees and Legends Volume 1. And um, Andy Feely was voted into that. And I went to Bury and interviewed him during the week. I think he was, he was, I don't know what he was doing then, I don't, know, he was, he, I don't know what his exact role was, but I think he went on to become a prison officer, I did, that's did. right, I did Berry on, the, Strangeways, on a Tuesday, and then I went to interview Dean Holdsworth at Bolton um, on the Wednesday, I think, they played Arsenal, so, you know, Bolton at the time were top tier, and they were, they were, they had Dean Holdsworth, who was uh, top boy for them. So it shows you how times have changed. Yeah, and I was uh, I was very proud as well to have taken my and he said proud, but taking my kids to Bury. I took them there uh, 
uh, one Christmas. It was the last Saturday, last game before Christmas as well. And uh, no, I did, and I sort of took them up there. You know, they were very, very young at the time. I think that my daughter was probably only about three, and my son was about five, and everything like that. We went up there. We stayed in Salford, just by the BBC that just moved in there. We saw Dion Dublin. I talked the story about Dion Dublin a couple of weeks ago on the on the radio show as well, because his uh, brother lived around the corner from me, and I hired a sound system from him as well. So I saw Dion there, and I said, "Oh, Dion, I remember I hired a sound system from your brother." So kids introduced him to him but we had a really nice time in Bury up there again sort of kids you know really really left field sort of unfashionable away day that I like to sort of prime the kids up in and then the following year I think I decided to go a couple of years later okay, again I said to the missus well that's brilliant Barry let's go up there and I think it was Christmas time we got there and I think the game was snowed off and we ended up getting a steam train and we were snowed in Ramsbottom in this pub and we were absolutely snowed in and we uh, still had a really great time so like I said to you brilliant memories of that part of the world. Um, I do remember actually one of my best mates as well, he, he came with one of his, uh, his, uh, his fancy women up to, to Berry sometime as well. Fancy women sounds so old fashioned, doesn't it as well, which kind of shocked me and I, I met her for the first time as well, but that, that didn't last too long either. Probably quite like Laney's uh, situation as well. It's, but, a um, it's a dumping ground. <laughs> if you don't want to go out with somebody, bring them to Berry. Like I was saying, I bet Roger Stanislaus probably wasn't going out with his missus too much after that either. So, uh, but anyway, look, Berry, really sad situation. Really feel for the fans. Let's hope that something happens. Maybe they may create a Phoenix Cub. They'll start from the bottom, and actually, they'll feel that the club's their own. And maybe it may be um, end up being a, I would say, a better situation, but a situation that they'll grow to love and and grow to feel that it's their own, isn't it? Yeah, good luck yeah. to them. Good luck to them. Good luck to them. But, but listen, we need to talk about Brentford again because Saturday we've got a big game. Derby County are coming to town. Thank God it's not Frank Lampard's Derby County. It's some cocoon or something like that, Derby County instead. But it doesn't quite flow off the tongue. We're going to go over and talk to someone who knows all about Derby County. We're going to Chris Parsons from Steve Bloomer's Washing. He's going to give us a little lowdown on Derby County. Another season, another managerial change for Derby County. Frank Lampard out, Philip Koku in. When Frank left, I mean, the more I think about it now, the more inevitable it was at the time that Lampard was going to go. I'm not really sure why Derby fans thought he was ever going to stay um, once the Chelsea rumours started. They are his first love. We were a one-season fling. Uh, it was great while it lasted. We got to Wembley. But once it came calling, the writing was on the wall, unfortunately. But Koku in, a proven win in Holland at least. Three Dutch titles and a dodgy spell in Turkey. Um, can he do it in England is the big question for Rams fans. He's adopted a similar style, uh, placed an emphasis on youth, played a lot of young players wants to play fast attacking football and that's why he got the job because he's similar to Lampard in philosophy both tactically and with bringing through youth players in terms of his signings the big two were Christian Bielik from Arsenal a defensive central midfielder who has started okay but is still lacking fitness and Kieran Dowell an attacking midfielder on loan from Everton who hasn't really impressed too much this season partly because he's got huge boots to fill in terms of the loanees from last season in uh, Harry Wilson and Mason Mount, who scored nearly 30 goals between them for Derby and basically got us in the top six 
at the end of the season. Um, the season started really well for Derby, of course. Uh, great 2-1 win away at Huddersfield on the opening weekend, but we haven't won since. Um, plenty of reasons for it. Partly missed penalties. We've had four. We've scored two. If we'd have scored all four, we'd be in the top six. We haven't. We're mid-table. Uh, it's one of many problems we have at the moment. Koku's playing the youngsters. As I've said, he's uh, put a lot of emphasis on youth, a lot of faith in Derby's all-conquering academy side from last season. Three of them started against Forest, and we got punished. And uh, it's up to Koku to find the balance so far this season. Right now, he hasn't really found it. He chopped and, he's chopped and changed in formation within games often changing at half-time, often making subs at half-time. So the question for Derby fans is, can he find that balance? Can he get the most out of the players that he has? And can he replace the lone stars from last season? Because if he can, we can still be competitive and we can still be a top-16. But right now, it's been a bit of a ropey start results-wise. Um, we don't really feel like Koku does know his best team. Although it has to be said that we have had a very tough start and we've still got the likes of West Brom to come, Leeds. So I played West Brom, Leeds, Cardiff, uh, already played Bristol City, playing Brentford at the weekend. So the fixtures haven't been kind and we're bundling through right now. As for Saturday at Griffin Park, we always seem to score there. Um, we never keep clean sheets there. So there's always goals, and our record is patchy, to say the least. I think we've only won once in the last few years. Um, painful memories of a 4-0 thrashing there two or three years ago, of course, and that, gate, that great 3-3 draw last season towards, uh, towards the beginning of the run-in. So it's difficult to call. I'd say there's definitely going to be goals, as I've said, um, with the glass half full, uh, the optimism coming back after that disappointing result away at Forest in the Cup. I would say uh, Derby to nick it 3-2 and uh, kickstart their season. So, yes, Chris Parsons from the Steve Bloomers Washington. We'll see them all on Saturday down in the pub before and after and chatting about the game and uh, probably discussing how many chances we both missed in that game because um, Brentford and Derby are probably quite similar. Actually, again, we're not going to go into too much of this XG nonsense, as we say, but we're quite similar in the fact that we seem to create some good chances, but both of us are not putting them away. So we're similar in that table where we should be higher than we should be, putting the ball. The one thing I know is that Derby, we were quite critical of them because last season they, they got the playoffs. They did all right last season and they got in the playoffs, but they got into the playoffs. They, they, they overperformed last season because they weren't really creating the chances, but the chances that they were creating and scoring the goals from were the Harry Wilsons, the, the wonder goals they were scoring, and brilliant because they had some really fantastic strikers who, when they got the ball, put it into the back of the net. So they weren't creating necessarily as good chances as we were anybody else was, but they were putting them in the back of the net. They got the playoffs. This season is different. I've been watching them all season, and they've been creating some really good chances, but they've obviously not been scoring all of them now. You look at the results. Huddersfield, they lost. They beat Huddersfield at the beginning of the season, but they haven't won since then. I think they, you know, Derby County, they, Swansea, they drew. You know, Stoke City, they drew two all. You know, Bristol City, they lost two one. They drew, and they drew with West Brom at the weekend as well. So they, there's a feeling that Derby are quite Brentford in the way they go about their business. Laney, do you think that's a fair assumption? Yeah, I think it's a fair assumption. Um, I, I think they'll probably be 
favourites. Um, looking at looking at that run, they seem to. Although they've lost, they have lost one. You know, we've lost three. So, that, but you know, it, but it, it would appear that all of their game, all of their games could have gone one way or the other. There's, there's fine margins there as well. So they're, they're doing marginally better than us. Um, but you know, the, it, the bookies would expect that. I guess they're, I guess they're going to be sort of more more favourites to, to be in the promotion shake-up than, than we are currently. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful for Saturday. If I'm honest, Bill, though, I, 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 I do think that you know we we could. We could and we should and we probably will get a morale boost in victory before we go into the international break. So I'm 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 not I'm glass half half empty at the moment. So I I am alright, I'm doing alright. Liberal, I mean looking at Derby's the strengths of Derby, so they're basically they're very, very good at creating long shot opportunities. So they score you know, or they, they take a lot of shots from outside the, the area as well, and also very good at defending set pieces. How do you do? You, how do you think Brentford will cope? I think we'll score one goal, but one goal will be enough for us on Saturday. I mean, I'm, th- I'm thinking that Derby potentially could actually be a better, a good team or a better team than last season. Looking at what Cuckoo's doing, he's getting the ball into the area a lot for their players. They're not doing the right things with it. But the weaknesses, I mean, Robin Hood, they're, they're not great at, great at finishing scoring chances. And we talk about that. I know a lot of people say, oh, XG, but that's the thing. They're like, they've got massive, great big bubbles in the middle of the area, but they're not putting the ball away. Also, they're not good at defending against attacks down the wings. So basically attacking down the wings, you know, protecting the lead. You know, they might go 1-0 up and, and, and the teams come back on them as well. And also stopping opponents from creating scoring chances. So defensively, they're a little bit weak. So, I mean, at home with Brentford, the way that we are building, should we not be able to capitalise on that? Yeah, but I suppose the so far this season, the week, our weakness has been putting the ball in the back of the net. Um, so, you know, defensively, if they're struggling with balls down, you know, balls coming down the wing and players running at them down the wing, got players like Dalsgaard, like Rico Henry, like Canos, like Ben Rama, which who on their day are very, very um, dangerous in those areas. Uh, for me, the first goal on Saturday is crucial and I think whoever gets the first goal wins it um, I'm, predi- I'm, I'm foreseeing a tight game I think compared to last season uh, where they uh, sort of, according to the law of averages they weren't very good they certainly didn't deserve to be in the playoffs um, I think this season they'll be a bit more balanced side makes sense I think they'll certainly not be as reliant on loanies like Mount and Wilson to uh, um, and so yeah, they they may they may be a bit fragile defence and not be able to away. Like like we've seen at Birmingham, like we saw at Charleston, all it takes is that one sort of slightly fluky goal, should we say, uh, just a chancing goal to to make a difference. So I think if we are to win, we need to score first. Of course, we need. Uh, yeah, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna say two one Brentford, tantalisingly. Uh, so we get that first goal. Okay, and Laney, give us a score prediction. Um, I'm going to go 2-1 Brentford. The Liberal Nick. Original. 1-0 Brentford. Oh, yeah. We're all going very tight as well. And I'm going to go for a 1-0 Brentford win. So, uh, we're still... Listen, even though it hasn't been going too well, we're still relatively confident. We're holding on to this one. Big style. So, anyway... Positivity, positivity. That's right. That's what's got to be done. But listen, this is the besotted, besotted pride of West 
London Podcast. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. You can press loads of buttons and review us and like us and do whatever you need to do to make us more popular. We'd be very, very grateful. We've got t-shirts on besotted.com. Check them out. We've got loads of different t-shirts. Brent Fjord and Brentford Old School t-shirts and the Ace of Clubs new Motorhead style t-shirt as well. And uh, all sorts of stuff. Besotted.com. Check it out as well. We'll be there on Saturday checking the game out, keeping our fingers crossed that Brentford can keep a clean sheet and they can actually score a couple of goals and make us very happy as we go into the international break. Isn't that right, lads? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so, as we go into, so as we go into this game on Saturday with the Derby characters will be coming down, it's going to be a lovely sunny day. I'm off to Belgium tomorrow to go and see the, the women play, um, England women play against Belgium with my daughter as well because it's uh, holiday time so I don't have to lie about the fact that she <laughs> I've taken her off to a tournament, you know, so it's all good. So I'm going to be bright and early on a Eurostar to Brussels going off to see England women so fingers crossed they'll win they'll be back on Saturday to watch the Bees play as we can say come on you Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.